shorthanded chance. Yenmark down the middle, scores! Matias Yenmark, shorthanded goal! From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Puck comes out high, Watt gets the puck, off to the races, into the zone, the righty, right circle, backhander, he scores! What a move! Nicholas Watt gets the Knights back in the lead! is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Ryan Wallace, Chris Statman, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports, Las Vegas studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215 Home of the... Woo! That was an energetic woo. I, listen, Jared Justice did a great job yesterday, Chapman, just to, to let you know he did a fantastic job filling in for you. Uh, the only thing with Jared that that I, I look at constantly when he fills in that, that needs work is the woo. Like, you nail the woo, you bring that energy. It, it's really, you know, when Darren's here, the woo and catching up with Chapman's the only time you get to crack a mic. Um, but if there's one pointer, Chapman, and, and like this is your homework over the course of the next couple of weeks and then into the offseason, because Justice is the one that usually fills in for you when you are not on the show, you've got to get the woo up to par. You have to. Oh, me or him? No, no, you have to teach him to get oh, a, a oh, proper okay. woo. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you know what? I should go pull the air check and just, it's funny because I got a couple text messages from people who listen to the show and uh, they told me that, they're like, who is this guy with the woo? He's not very good. So, um, oh, wow, really? Yes, yeah. You know what? Let, let me, let me, let, <laughs> it's funny because uh, he is a loyal <laughs> listener. I won't name names, but a loyal listener of the show. He, uh, let's see, where's the text message? He said, uh, who is this guy with the weak woo? <laughs> oh wow i said oh i think it was jared he goes, to the point he goes yep it was <laughs> he just texted me he's like yep it's me this guy here <laughs> yeah listen it it's not it's it's not that it's a subpar woo it's just that there's there's voice cracking and all this other stuff I love Justice. I think he does a great job, and he did a great job yesterday, as did Ashley Vice stepping in and filling in for the the other half of you, Chapman, um, on in hour number one. And then you know we we had a great conversation with Ben Goats. Actually, Chapman, you're gonna you're gonna be bummed out, but we maybe we broached this topic with Jesse Granger when he comes on the show later on. Uh, I asked Ben how in the world. Right? How in the world a, a sports writer who got to vote on the NHL awards, I asked how do they come to this ballot where they do not put Connor McDavid or um, Austin Matthews on their Hart Trophy ballot. Instead, Roman Yossi's on it, and then they don't actually vote in Roman Yossi for the, <laughs> the, the Norris Trophy. And Ben did a great job kind of sidestepping the criticism and talking about kind of an overarching theme of galaxy braining certain situations and certain things. So like, I'm curious to get huh? Jesse's yeah, overthinking it. Um, I don't tend to believe that it's overthinking it. I think it's underthinking it. But, you know, Ben, he, he's got such a great soothing way of, of delivering truths to you that you just kind of take it at face value. Ben went through his process of, of his vote 
on on the NHL awards. It was fascinating. He was talking about two, three, four days of extensive research, and you know he came through on the right side of things. Austin Matthews uh, scored 60 goals, and he said that was one of the determining factors. But what I loved about Ben is that he went Igor Shesterkin second, then Connor McDavid. That is a phenomenal ballot from Ben Goats. He did a great job, and thanks to Ben yesterday for jumping in. As I mentioned, we've got Jesse Granger coming on at 5 o'clock. Jesse, uh, a year older. Yeah, yeah, him and... By virtue of his... Him and my wife actually share a birthday. I, I found that out yesterday. Um, that, so that, you must get along really well with Jesse. I do. I do. Yeah. I, I like Jesse a lot. I, I, I'd say we get along pretty well. So we got Jesse Granger a day after his birthday deciding to jump on with the VGK Insider Show. We're going to try to talk with Jesse Cohen of All the Kings Men podcast about the big trade in the NHL yesterday. That is, of course, Kevin Fiala going from the Minnesota Wild to the Los Angeles Kings and then signing a seven-year, seven, year, seven uh, just a hair under $7.9 million contract extension with Los Angeles. It's a 33-goal scorer, 25 years old in the prime of his career. That'll be interesting to get a, a, a local Los Angeles take on the Kevin Fiala trade. And, you know, we got one-timers. We're going to get a little bit more heavy into some some news and notes from around the NHL, including goaltending, some some question marks, some, some decisions being made surrounding goaltenders ahead of the unrestricted free agent market opening up uh, in, in a little bit in a couple of weeks. And then we've also got your mailbag questions. But before we get to the mailbag, we're going to try to do that as as quickly as possible here in, in segment number one. But I threw away a commentary on Twitter that I did not expect to have any traction. You can follow uh, the show at Ryan Hockey Guy. You can follow at Magnum702 and at Fox Sports Las Vegas. I, I threw away kind of a commentary on Twitter that I didn't expect to have much in terms of actual um, interaction with Chapman. And it turned out to be uh, one of those tweets that that the, the reaction surprised me, so I want to talk about it. This was the tweet. If we've learned anything from St. Louis and Colorado, it's that to win a Stanley Cup, you need a catchy song for the fan base and players to really attach themselves to. All right, Vegas fans, what should that song be for the Golden Knights? Of course, I'm referencing Gloria for the St. Louis Blues and all the small things from Blink-182 as it pertains to... Can't get the any Colorado better Avalanche. Can't get any better um, that, than that. That's, yeah, but see, it's, it, took, it took too long for that to build... So it just felt awkward. Yeah, but it has um, such a maybe good bring... intro. I, I I think I just okay, have thanks. have a Gloria drop, but unfortunately, I don't know where it, I have so many drops that I, I I don't know. I have to like organize them in a much better way. I think that oh, that would be helpful and and organize them in a way that Justice understands when when he's filling in for you. That would also be helpful, <laughs> but. It, you know, it was tongue-in-cheek. I'm joking, of course. Like, you need a lot more to win a Stanley Cup than a catchy song. But it, it did bring about a lot of interesting takes. 
And so I want to get to some of those. But first and foremost, Chapman, I'm asking you that question. Like, if you are the Golden Knights going into next season, you know that this is one of those seasons where you want to have a good showing. And whether it be a song that catches on in the arena, like all the small things did in Colorado, or it's a song that's inside the dressing room that the guys are rallying around in in the case of Gloria, what should that song be for the Golden Knights next season? Well, I, I, I'd kind of have to think a little bit, but my, my initial thought is it, it goes to <laughs> the 1980s because there were a lot of really catchy, kind of cheesy, hokey songs that came out in the 80s, like, Hey, Mickey, You're So Fine, like 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 a song like that. Not necessarily that, although Tony Basil's from Las Vegas, so maybe that, but... Um, you, you know, it, it may be something like Tears for Fears or, or something kind of hokey and, and, and just silly and goofy. But at the time, it was like a real serious song. Like, like we, we didn't laugh at Gloria. I mean, I don't know who laughs at Gloria, but like nobody was kind of like, oh, that's kind of a goofy song. Like like today, looking back to hear that in a, in a bar in Philadelphia, of all places, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it like my my mindset is it, it's like the bar in it's always sunny in Philadelphia like that's the kind of dive bar that they were hanging out in and there were a bunch of guys like me in there who just love 80s music and that song came on the jukebox so I I, I don't know what particular song I, I feel like the listeners are gonna have some better answers than me but I, I my, my initial thought is it's got to be something from the 80s because I I, I just so- feel like like those are some real, and and I'm not talking like Journey, right? Like you always, or or Piano Man, right? Like you always go into the, the the piano bar, and you always hear Piano Man like ten times a night. You're like, no, no, don't! I want to go to a piano bar and not hear that song. I don't. I want to go to a piano bar and hear Piano Man. Not like, ten I, times. I, I don't know not ten times about. in a night. Okay, so here are some of the comments and some of the suggestions from the listeners. Uh, Sweet Golden Nights, which I shut down immediately. Listen, you and I have gone uh, really in-depth on our dislike for Sweet Caroline in and of itself. So Sweet Golden Nights, it's it's not it's not it. It's just, it's not it. Plus, they've had that for five years, and it hasn't worked. Well, yeah, but like it hasn't worked because no one's attaching to it. Right, like Sweet Golden Nights, when it comes on in intermission, not exactly the thing that gets everybody into the groove. And 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 to be frank, like it's an intermission song. It's not an in the middle of the game. You want energy in the building. You want the crowd to go wild. That's not Sweet Golden Nights. So it's definitely not going to be Sweet Golden Nights from my perspective. Uh, Christopher Boyd, he threw out Hollow Notes. Uh, you come true. I said yes if Toronto retired that song, but I don't think they're going to retire it as their goal song, so I don't really feel good or comfortable taking anything from the Toronto Maple Leafs, given how you know they can't get out of the first round. Uh, we got some hello from Adele. That was a funny one. I think a lot of people are kind of perplexed at the idea that I like Adele. I like it. Um, I, I a like lot of imagined one. A lot of Imagine Dragons, Warrior, Enemy, those types of songs. I, I don't know that Imagine Dragons is def- is kind of the direction that I would go, given you know all that happened at the Stanley Cup Final year one. Um, <laughs> t- to me, to me, this is the moment where you lean heavily into the killers. Like you and I have talked about the goal song, and I don't think that there's any reason whatsoever to move off 
of the Golden Knights goal song. I think it's a fantastic goal song. It fits. It, it, it really encapsulates what you're supposed to have as far as goal song. I think if you're going to lean into this and lean into it hard, the Killers makes the most sense. Mr. Brightside has, has certainly been one of those recurring comments on this tweet. I think Mr. Brightside's probably the leading suggestion and one that I think from a sing-song perspective inside the arena would go over really, really well. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good fit. You know what's funny? That's not even because that's from Hot Fuss. And that's not even my favorite song on that album. Smile Like You Mean It, I think, is my favorite song on that album. But I think Somebody Told Me is another good one that you could use. But I -hmm. I lean heavily, Mr. Brightside, because it's got the good, like, open, and then it's very very singable. Like, as a crowd, you can get behind it and sing it. I I, I kind of like that one. And and listen, I don't think they incorporate enough killers into the, the, the production because, I mean, I, I, I know Brandon Flowers is a huge, huge Vegas sports fan. Like, I don't know about mm. the singer from Imagine Dragons. I, I, I mean, I think he probably is too. But, like, Brandon Flowers, like, he embraces being a Vegas guy. Like, he, he rocks a UNLV jacket. He rocks a UNLV basketball jersey. So, like, I, I feel like they kind of embrace being a Vegas band and, and like one of their albums was Sam's town. You know I mean? We, I think a lot of us have probably spent the night bowling at Sam's town at one point or another <laughs> in our lives, especially after the showboat closed. And, and for those of us who've been here a long time, they know exactly what I'm talking about with the showboat. But like, I, 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 I like Mr. Brightside. Like, I, I think that that's a really good suggestion. I, I, I like that a lot. So I, I, like I think that from a commercial perspective, if you're trying to bring in as many people as possible and kind of appeal to to the Vegas kind of, of crowd, Mr. Brightside makes a lot of sense. You know how much I love Coheed and Cambria. I think that they're one of the most uh, underappreciated bands right now. Uh, a Favor House Atlantic would be really fun. I, I think anything from Coheed early on, a little bit more up-tempo, uh, some songs where you can actually figure out what the heck Claudio is actually saying, those would be great. But one that, that came to mind for me, because it's just a party every single time you hear it, is Knights of Sidonia from Muse. That would be the type of song where you've got enough of a, of a instrumental um, intro that you could start it, during a TV timeout, right? You could start it during a TV timeout, and by the time you get to the vocals, by the time you get to back on the ice, dropping the puck, that's where the crowd can really hit their stride with some of the with some of the lyrics. That would be my selfish decision, but Mr. Brightside is certainly the one that I think fits the most uh, the the most with with this city, this fan base, this team. Yeah, I, I I think there's there's probably a lot of uh, like good songs that 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 could be thrown out and certainly would garner consideration, but I think it's hard to top Mr. Brightside. Like it, it's just got such a catchy, catchy like chorus and like mm-hmm. it, it's it's from the very beginning you know you know it's coming because it's it's like it's just a, it's just. From that first lyric, you're like, "Oh, this is a great song!" Right away, and it, 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 it I, I can't say the word is encapsulates something like I, I don't know. In, in, it encapsulates yes. what you're trying to accomplish. Yes, uh, you know, and I'll I'll even That's throw out I'll even throw out one more um, one more Blink One Eighty Two song. Uh, 
rock show would be awesome. Like oh, rock that's my show would be Blink fantastic. Song. I would love that. I think that that would be great. But I, I don't feel like the Colorado Avalanche and their fans would take too kindly if we start to sing a bunch of Blink-182 songs at T-Mobile Arena. So that was a fun little topic. Again, I didn't expect it to kind of be that tweet where a lot of interaction was coming in on it, but I am glad that there there's kind of, you know, the discussion about it because it's it's fun, right? And and that's what sports are supposed to be. And I know that it's it's going to be a long time between Golden Knights hockey games is a little bit more information about the preseason schedule is starting to trickle out over the course of the next couple of weeks. You're looking forward to it. You want to be a part of it. And, and really anything that, that gets you in the mode of next season for Vegas is really a good thing. So let's get to some of the mailbag questions, Chapman, because we, we threw it out on Monday. I didn't really have much time over the course of the last couple of days to get to those questions because there were some some big newsy type of of, of stories over uh, with the NHL. But th- this is this is a story that I did want to get to, and I'll I'll be honest with you, right? Like I saw this over the weekend. I saw the video of it over the weekend. Of course, he scored a goal in this soccer match, but. What are your thoughts? Because I know you're a soccer guy. Yes. Like, what are your thoughts on Alex Ovechkin playing soccer in a professional match over the course of the weekend, absolutely demolishing a player and then scoring a goal? Um. Well, I I I think, you know, it, it, it's tough because I, I I feel like the guy the guy has earned that that ability, right? Like to to be able to go mm-hmm. do stuff like that in the off season. Um, you you guys all know my my thoughts on Ovechkin. I'm a huge huge fan of his. I I just think given the the, the circumstances in the world right now, especially mm-hmm. with with Russia and the fact that he still kind of hasn't really distanced himself from from Putin and that, I I think it kind of shows a little maybe some tone deaf um, mm-hmm. attributes. Um, I mean, I'm not going to get too heavy on the guy because I, I mean, listen, it, there, there's a lot of Russian players who, who will go home in the summer and do things, and none of them will have the microscope on them the way Ovechkin does. Like, if Evgeny Kuznetsov goes back to Russia and plays soccer, nobody cares, right? It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I feel like because it's Ovechkin, it, it's going to be a big deal. Especially with the well, way that that, I, that kind it, of he he it, responded when he was asked he 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 had a statement but it wasn't much of a statement. Well, and, Chapman, like the, the fact of the matter is, it, it's not because it's Alex Ovechkin. It's because of Alex Ovechkin's ties to Vladimir Putin and his kind of refusal in in those moments to distance himself from that. Right, like it. it it's less to do with who he is as a person and more to do with what his alignments have been over the course of the last 12, 15 years and what they've been in light of, you know, the, the war in you in Ukraine. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's the kind of thing where because of you're right, because of who he is, because of his ties, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to have a, a, a pretty big emphasis on, on this situation. And. Yeah. You know, a guy of his stature, you know, I was thinking about it today and I, I saw, you know, there, there's this whole thing going on with Brittany Griner and mm-hmm. I saw a ridiculous comment where someone said, well, we should arrest Ovechkin when he comes back to the U.S. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen anyone tweet because we 
despite the fact that there's a lot of division in this country, we still are a nation of laws. And we still have, you know, we, we still have to follow that. Arresting the guy just because he's friends with Putin is, is absolutely ridiculous. So, uh, you know, I, I guess someone was trying to make the comparison that Brittany Griner being arrested and, and held in Russia would be similar to the U.S. arresting Ovechkin and, and holding him. I didn't see the, that as a fair comparison. But, I mean, I, I, I do think we're going to to really emphasize what this guy does. And, and there's always going to be a microscope on him. I, I and and look, I mean, the reality of the situation is no, none of us will ever understand what it's like to be in that situation. His wife and kid, I, from what I understand, live in Russia during the season, so um, it's it's got to be very very difficult for him because it's almost an impossible situation. But I, I I do think there's definitely some 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 tone deaf there from from Ovechkin where it's like, hey, you know what? I, I'm just going to pretend like nothing's going on, and I'm just gonna gonna continue to live the way I was prior to Russia invading Ukraine. Yeah, I I, I agree with most of what you said in that what should have been a fun story, what should have been something that you know over the course of any other off season would have been lighthearted and funny and come across that way uh, just feels tainted in, in a sense right and like as as much as it was interesting to see Ovechkin in a diff playing a different sport doing something different outside of his comfort zone and still doing well at it you you can't really just sit there and celebrate the guy for being a great athlete because of everything else going on in the background when it comes to Alex Ovechkin so you know, I'm with you in that. I think that if it would have happened three years ago, four years ago, or you know, in the future, when when things aren't so uncertain right now, when it comes to to Russia and Ukraine, it would have been different. But yeah. um, it it just didn't land probably the way that anybody wanted it to or expected it to. Um, and maybe that's the problem, right? Like maybe that's the problem of of. Picking this time, choosing this time that that really went into it not feeling or or, or seeming like anything positive uh, to come out of it. So I'm with you there, Chapman. Now let's get to another question. I think this one's interesting too, um, in that you 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 know where you know where the openings are right now with the NHL and coaching, right? Like with the news today that the Detroit Red Wings have named Derek Lalonde their next head coach. Lalonde, of course, an assistant with the Tampa Bay Lightning, has won two Stanley Cups uh, on, under head coach John Cooper. Um, it's certainly a hire that is very familiar with Steve Eiserman, and I'm not terribly, terribly surprised that that's the direction that Steve Eiserman went for Detroit. But now that that's the case... There are only two teams with coaching vacancies that I'm aware of. I went through everything. I'm fairly certain this is the list. It's Winnipeg. It's Boston, right? If you were going to be a head coach, and for what it's worth, as, as we're going through this right now, it, it, it's seemingly growing closer and closer and closer to Jim Montgomery getting the, the job in Boston. We'll keep an eye on that as things progress over the next hour and a half or so. You get to choose between Winnipeg and Boston. Chris Chapman, what job would you take and why? Uh, that's a tough one because <laughs> I, I, I think there's there's 
really some some anchors to both of those jobs. Like my initial thought is with Winnipeg, you're you're in a division that's an absolute bloodbath. Like you are in a division that there's no margin for error. You have to basically play well for 82 games to make the playoffs coming out of the Central. It's it's that tough. Boston, on the other hand, I think it's it's a situation where there's going to be a cloud over the team to start the season, but it sounds like you're going to have Patrice Bergeron back. And at some point, you're probably going to have all the guys who are going to start the season on the injured list back. I think long-term, Boston is probably the better job. But the question is, how much stability and how much leeway am I going to have? Like, am I going to be just the guy who's hired to see the team through the the, the, the transition? And then when, when the team shows some signs of promise, they're going to fire me and bring in someone else? Like, I see that being the type of situation in Boston. Winnipeg, I feel like there's a little more patience. Um. I, I, I think all things being considered, I would probably take the Boston job only because I feel like you, you, you have a team that has won. Maybe not, you know, all those guys on the team, but you've got a guy like Pasternak who's got an uncanny ability to find the net. You've got a guy like Marchand who who is a, a great player. Aside from being a pest, he's an absolute great player. You're probably going to have Bergeron for at least one more year. Um, and I, I, I just kind of look at that and say, you know what, there's a team that, and a franchise, because I think Cam Neely is a guy who, who understands what it takes to win. And I'm not so, I, I and it's not a knock on Shevel Dayev, but I, I feel like Boston is a better franchise top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And I think they've shown it like they've, they've, they've won a cup in the last 15 years. They've been to two other finals. So this is a team that certainly has a pedigree, and I, I just feel like that's probably a better job. So the way that I would view it is if I'm a coach, I'm married to my goaltender, right? I'm married to my goaltender. I think that's fair. As, as, good, as, as good as my goalie is, that's my job security. So if I was a first-time coach, I'm 100% going with the Winnipeg job. I'm 100% going with the Winnipeg job because Connor Hellebuck has proven himself at times to be a Vesna Trophy finalist, a Vesna caliber goaltender. I want that in my back pocket. Like, I can work with everything else. I, Mark Shifley's a good player. Blake Wheeler's a good player. There's question marks, of course, surrounding uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, but there's a lot of talent there with the Winnipeg Jets. It just hasn't clicked. It hasn't really moved forward the way that you'd like it to or expect it to. But in my estimation, in my opinion, like, am I going to put my stock in Connor Hellebuck or am I going to put it in Jeremy Swayman and Linus Olmark? Like, I I don't know about you. I'm going to go with the sure thing because you don't necessarily get fired as a coach if your goaltending is good. Oftentimes, you get the axe as a coach because your goaltender had an off year. Because when your goaltender has an off year, all of a sudden those 2-1 games, 3-2 games that you were winning You're losing. become 3-2 yeah. games, 4-3 games that you end up losing. I think that's and a that's fair the point. Difference between, that's the difference between making the playoffs and being on the outside looking in. So to me, in my estimation, 
I'm going with the sure thing in goal. I'm going with the guy that I know has a proven track record of winning, and that's going to be Connor Hellebuck. If we have time, we're going to more of your mailbag questions. We've got a few more that we'd like to sprinkle in over the course of uh, the next 90 minutes or so, but we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hope to have Jesse Cohen from All the Kings Men podcast join the show to get a little bit more in-depth on Kevin Fiala, the Los Angeles Kings, and their outlook for next season. That's coming up right here on the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Rolling along here on a Thursday. It's the VGK Insider Show. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman with you for the next 90 minutes or so. We're going to bring in Jesse Cohen with All the Kings Men podcast uh, to talk a little bit about the Kevin Fiala trade, the big splash made yesterday by the Los Angeles Kings. Hey, Jesse, how you doing? Excellent, thanks. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing well, um, except for the fact that uh, it seems like the Kings decided to be good somewhere in uh, the offseason last year in, in, in getting Phil Deneau, and now they're just deciding that they want to continue to be good and get better in, in making the trade for Kevin Fiala. Uh, what, what are your initial thoughts on this trade and what it means for Los Angeles? Wow. Well, you want my like private initial thoughts or like my public initial thoughts? <laughs> Um, um, I am, you know what? Private would be fantastic. That would be great. All right. Sure. I am real conservative by nature when it comes to team construction. I like hoarding mm-hmm. draft picks. I don't like big splashes into free agency. So my mm-hmm. first reaction to this trade was like, love the player, not sure about the trade. Um, don't mm-hmm. mind the price of Brock Faber. We have way too many right shot defensemen as it is. Everybody knows right shot defensemen are, you know, the unicorns of the NHL. If you can get one, you're golden. If you can get two, you're platinum, et cetera. We have, like I said, seven or eight, I think. Um, <laughs> so that price didn't bother me. And it wasn't even necessarily the inclusion of the first-round pick either. It was what it meant to add another forward in his late 20s at big money to the forward core, because we already have Kopitar, Deneau, Arvidsson, Iafalo, Kempe, uh, etc. And so my thought process was, well, what does this mean for everybody down the depth chart? What does this mean for all of those prospects that we spent four years? And, you know, the more I looked at the more I looked at the more I because I'm a fan of the team and have been for a long time. I have a tendency to talk myself into things. Um, I mean, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, my first reaction was love the player and not sure about the trade. And so what I've sort of come around to is I love the player enough that I can now see that it, that it opens up more possibilities. Rather than being a uh, limiting move that, that handcuffs the team, I think it actually opens up even more doors for more moves because he is such a uh, such a clearly talented player. So, in terms of more moves, what what do you think is still on the horizon for the Kings in terms of this offseason? Well, assuming, which may not be correct, but assuming that the top six is some combination of Fiala, Kopitar, Arvidsson, Deneau, Moore, uh, Kempe. And then you've got Byfield and Kaliev and Lazat all contending for minutes. 
uh, and I even didn't even mention I follow. You're really looking at four more roster spots to be spread out among. Uh, you've got Anderson Dolan, Carl Grundstrom, Brendan Lemieux, Leish Anderson, Gabriel Velarde, all needing uh, extensions, new contracts, qualifiers. Those are restricted free agents. Andreas Athanasiu is an unrestricted free agent. They have to make a decision on him. Then in Ontario, you've got Akil Thomas, Tyler Madden, Samuel Fagamo, Austin Wagner, Aiden Dudas, Taylor Ward, Martin Kromiak. You've got guys like Rasmus Kupari. I already mentioned Turcotte. But you have, you have I don't know, 10 to 15 guys that you could credibly slot into an NHL spot. And not all of them can clear waivers. Not all of them are under contract at the moment. A lot of them are restricted free agents. So something has to bend. We mentioned last year, all year long, that they had too many guys. That was sort of the refrain. And, of course, the hockey gods are not without a sense of humor. And so to punish me for saying they have too many guys, we had injuries <laughs> and COVID issues. <laughs> and like, it was like, oh, too many guys, do you? Okay. So we wound up having to use every guy we had. Um, and there was never a moment where we actually had like a full roster you know, where we had to make these decisions, there was always something coming along where it's like, oh, that guy hurt his groin. Oh, that guy's got COVID. Oh, eight of your defensemen are out Mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, So now we're faced with, like I said, Anderson Dolan, Carl Grunstrom, Leish Anderson, Brendan Lemieux, Gabriel Velarde, all RFAs, all would need to clear waivers to be sent to Ontario. And I think safe to say that four of them wouldn't clear at least three of them. Like I don't think at this point Gabriel Velarde, Jared Anderson, Dolan, or Carl Grundstrom are clearing waivers. That means mm-hmm. that they have value as a trade asset or as a roster player. Any one of those guys could find themselves on the third or fourth line, or if they have a really strong camp on the top line. But that's what I mean when I talk about moves. The Kings, they have too many guys, and they just added another one. Now, when when you kind of assess where the organization is, obviously, I, I don't know that you were expecting the playoffs this year, or maybe you were, maybe you saw that uh, kind of writing on the wall. But <laughs> do, when when you assess them now going into this offseason, given the fact that they did make the playoffs last year and that they're building towards something, where do you kind of place this team among the the other seven in the Pacific Division? Uh, is it cheating if I say I don't know? Um, no, it's not. One of the reasons I didn't expect playoffs last year was because I had no idea what the Pacific Division was going to look like last year. I don't think anybody did. Right? Yeah. The consensus was that yeah. Vegas and Edmonton would finish in the top. And then anybody you ask would give you a different interpretation of what the bottom six teams would be. I don't think anybody saw Calgary having the year they did. I don't think anybody saw Vegas having the year they did. And I don't think a lot of people had the Kings, you know, in a playoff spot solidly in February or whatever it was. So, mm. I mean, you tell me, is Vegas going to be better next year? That's the hope, right? I think that there's a lot that, for that you guys, has not to go for right for the. <laughs> well, certainly. But, like, to me, if they're healthy, they'll certainly be better. I, I think Bruce Cassidy is a really good hockey coach. Uh, 
But a lot of it hinges on what the Golden Knights end up doing over the course of the offseason. Like, it doesn't come as a, as a shock to you, I'm sure, that there's going to need to be salary that goes out for the Golden Knights in order to get some of their players that are restricted free agents signed and under contract. If you're going to extend Riley Smith, which it looks like they're going to, more salary is going to have to go out. And there are only a couple of players that are on bigger uh, bigger salary tickets that, that can move out that have value. So... Uh, it's kind of a work in progress when it comes to Vegas. It, you expect them to be better, but it kind of depends on the moves that they make over the course of the offseason. And I honestly think Edmonton's in a very similar position, right? Like, what are they going to yeah. do with their goaltending? What's going to happen with Evander Kane? They've got some young players that performed well. They have a new coach. You know, are they going to perform just as well as they did under Woodcroft? What's going to happen with Calgary? Are they going to bring back all of their guys? With Boudreaux in Vancouver for another full season, will they retain their roster? Is he going to have another? Was that his great first season that Boudreaux always has? You know, his teams make the playoffs, but they never do well past the first round. Like, that's five teams in the Pacific Division, including the Kings, that I'm not sure about. I don't expect Anaheim and San Jose to do anything, which means, of course, that they'll probably be great. And even <laughs> Seattle in their second season, right? Everybody talks about how Seattle got goalies. They had great underlying numbers, but the goalie fell apart. So they were, you know, minus 69 goal differential. Like, I have no idea. I've sort of gotten out of the prediction game, which makes me a lousy radio guest. I apologize. But <laughs> no worries. But I, I just, I don't, I honestly don't. Um, the Pacific Division is the one division in hockey right now. And it has been for a couple of years where, where everybody talks about parity. And I don't think that it really exists in the rest of the NHL, but in the Pacific, I think it sort of does. Um, you know, you look at the Eastern Conference, Carolina, New York, Pittsburgh, Washington, they should all be pretty good this year. Florida, Toronto, Tampa, Boston, they should all be pretty good this year. Does anybody think Montreal, Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo, Philly, Jersey, Columbus are going to make some sort of huge leap up the standings? Like, I don't think so. But yeah. you could you could tell me that Vancouver could win the Pacific next year based on how they played after Boudreaux took over. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be terribly stunned. You could tell me that Calgary and Edmonton miss the playoffs next year. I wouldn't be terribly stunned. Right. Yeah, it, the Pacific's an interesting one, and, and I guess that's kind of our, our fortune or misfortune in this case is that there's not really a clear-cut line of delineation between the good teams and the you know the teams that are, are likely outside of a playoff spot because it's in flux. And I think this is kind of the second year that the Pacific has been in flux like that. Now, I, I do want to get your thoughts on one player in particular because – I was impressed, thoroughly impressed with him over the course of, of the playoffs, the first round against the Edmonton Oilers. Sean Dursey, to me, has been one of those guys, or was one of those guys last year, that took advantage of the misfortune of others to really kind of get his game to a spot where it needs to be for the Kings to be successful moving forward. So your thoughts and opinions on the growth of Sean Dursey last season? I really, really like and root for Sean Dursey. Mm -hmm. uh, early in the season, uh, Jared Shaffron, our uh, reporter who covers the Ontario Reign for the team, asked me earnestly if I thought that Sean Dursey had a shot at making the Kings lineup. Yeah. And I said no. Not just <laughs> said no, but like laughed at the thought. You know, it was like, it was like ha, ha, ha. Absolutely <laughs> not 
don't be absurd. What are you talking about? He's a nice young man. He's got a decent game. He was having a good year with Ontario, but it was like, nah, come on, man. He's not making it. We've got Roy and Walker and Dowdy, and like, nah, it's never going to happen. Uh, and then Dowdy and Roy got hurt, or Dowdy and Walker, excuse me, got hurt in back-to-back games, and Sean Dersey played, I don't remember exactly how many games it was with the Kings this season. I'm looking it up right now, but... Um, Look, Sean Dersey's not a perfect player. Nobody is. Um, Sean Dersey, 64 games, 27 points. Yeah, solid season. Um, mm-hmm. Jim Fox, our color commentator, made a comment about Sean Dersey, and he's talking about him, and I'm going to try and get the quote right. Apologies, Jim, if I got it wrong. But the gist of it was, <laughs> regardless of how Sean Dersey plays on the ice, the Kings have a better chance of getting the culture in the locker room right with Sean Dersey. Hmm. And I think that's what you saw with him in the playoffs. Sean Dersey is, he'll get in a fight if the moment calls for it. He'll block a shot if the moment calls for it. He will try to make a play if he feels the moment calls for it. Doesn't always call for it, but he he is a confident (laughs) young man. He, uh, and I I use the word confident deliberately, right? Because I think there's a very... Hmm clear distinction between cocky and confident. And, sure. you know, Dursey, we interviewed him last year, and he was real, or maybe it was even the beginning, maybe it was like, I think it was actually in training camp this year. Apologies, I don't remember exactly what it was. But he was like, he had a real mature awareness of where his career was. And he was kind of yeah. like, look, I was a second-round draft pick. I had all this, you know, momentum behind me, and I played in Toronto, and blah, 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 blah. He's from Mississauga. It was a big deal to get drafted by the Maple Leafs, and he had all these career aspirations, and then the trade happened, and he came to L.A., and he thought it would be great. You know, he was sort of aware that at this stage in his career, he hadn't really broken through in maybe the way he had wanted to. And he was talking about how, you know, he had put set aside those expectations, and he was trying to just focus on his game and, you know, being the best player he could and enjoying it and taking advantage of whatever opportunities came along. And I, I just remember being struck with what an incredibly like mature reaction to a difficult career that, you know, professional sports can give you, right? Not everybody gets to be Drew Doughty or Andre Kopitar. And, and I was struck by that interview. And then know, four months later, he's in the lineup every night. And then, you know, six months later, he's trying to shut down Connor McDavid in a seven-game series <laughs> in the first round of the <laughs> NHL playoffs. And it's really easy to root for. Yeah. So like as a human being, never mind as a player. Um, he's really easy to root for, and then you see him out there on the ice. And uh, how blue can I get with my language? Uh, no swear words, as, okay. as best so you somebody, can. Yeah. So somebody, some fan on some message board, apologies again for not being able to give credit, described the way he played mm-hmm. as leaving uh, a <laughs> by leaving a, a ditch behind him on the ice where his uh, anatomy <laughs> dragged behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's Sean Dersey, man. The guy plays with heart uh, and other body parts. He's, he's great. I, I love watching him, like I said, an imperfect player, but kept getting better, kept working. You know, the parts, the weaknesses of his game that you could easily identify on night one mm-hmm. diminished and got mm-hmm. smaller and smaller and smaller every night. And he kept those elements of his game that got him there in the first place. It's been a lot of fun to watch. You know, Jesse, I... I... Appreciate you taking uh, the time to to kind of get in a little bit more in depth on the Los Angeles Kings. I, I have a feeling that 
this coming season. Vegas, Los Angeles, those games are going to take uh, a little bit uh, more juice over the course of, of next season given mm-hmm. where the Golden Knights were last season, where the Kings were last season, and, and just kind of the trajectory with Los Angeles. So uh, hopefully we can get you back on when we get into preseason and regular season next year. It was incredibly informative, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Where can people follow you on social and, and find your stuff? Uh, the easiest way to find me is on Twitter, uh, Kingsmen Podcast. That's one word, Kingsmen Podcast. Uh, or you can go to lakings.com slash podcast. And if I can get 30 seconds real quick, I gave you a bad answer on what I think the Kings will look like next year. Go ahead, ask me again. I'll give you a short, better answer. What do you think the Kings are going to look like next year? They're going to win the Pacific Division. Wow. <laughs> I thought you were <laughs> in the prediction game. Well, I thought about it, and why not, you know? <laughs> All right, Jesse, uh, you take care of yourself. Enjoy yourself over the course of the offseason, and uh, we'll chat with you come next year. Thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. I wish you all the best luck and the Golden Knights all the worst luck. <laughs> that is Jesse Cohen with All the Kingsmen podcast. Go ahead and give him a follow at Kingsmen podcast on Twitter. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, set the stage for hour number two. More of your mailbag questions. Jesse Granger is going to join the show as well as one timers. All that still to come here on the VGK Insider Show. This is the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Now back to Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Big thanks to Jesse Cohen with all the Kingsmen podcast for jumping on here. I know Chapman said that he probably didn't get too many fans in Vegas with his last comment, but hey, that's why we bring in Jesse. He's the expert on the Los Angeles Kings, so we try to dive a little bit deeper. I didn't get to ask him about Dustin Brown, but I, I feel like as as the conversation meandered into different uh, different territory, it was best not to make the guest cry, and I, I think that that's really discretion in, in that in that particular instance was the better part of valor because I I can only imagine the watershed that would have happened if I did mention Dustin Brown and asked Jesse to kind of wrap up his career as we know Dustin Brown retired from the NHL. Pat last season after the Kings lost in the first round to the Edmonton Oilers. Now, I, I do want to sneak in one more um, mailbag question. I know we're up against it. It's not going to take too long, Chapman, because I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you say on this one. A lot of times when a player wins the Conn Smythe, we automatically think, okay, they are the next best player in the world. And in the case of Kale McCarr, I think that it's possible I don't know that it's going to happen unless he wins a Hart Trophy and all that, but that's what brings the question about. Do you believe Kale McCarr is fast-tracked to win the Hart Trophy next year? I think yes. Yes, I do. Because I, I feel like he his style of play is attractive. Mm-hmm. I think it's very aesthetically pleasing when you watch him play, and I think sometimes a lot of people are drawn to that. Like, basically, he's Connor McDavid who plays defense. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that right there, there's going to be such a hype for him. A, Colorado defending champs. They're going to be favored, I, I would imagine, to repeat, at least probably here in Vegas on, 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 the, on the line, to, 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 to win the Stanley Cup again, or they'll be very, very close. So there's a hype train. The fact that he plays on a really, really good team that's going to be on national television a lot next year. 
I think the fact mm-hmm. that he won the con Smythe, I think that that kind of helps build the case a little bit. Look, and here's the other thing: it seems like every year somebody who wins the who, who is in the conversation is someone who wasn't in the conversation the year before, and guys fall off. So, I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that that. Austin Matthews won't be in the conversation next year because I think if he does what he did again this year, I think he'll certainly be in the conversation. But, you know, if Igor Shosturkin has a down year, all of a sudden Camel Carr is a guy who, who kind of slides into that conversation. Uh, we don't know where Johnny Goudreau is going to be. You know, maybe his his numbers aren't as good as they were this year. So certainly McCarr, I think I think he's certainly going to be in the conversation for Hart, for, for Hart Trophy next year. I just wonder how yeah, much he gets hurt. Like, like, are there guys who will? That's the question. Not vote for him the because question. they're going to say, "Oh, well, the defense has their own awards." No, no, no. I, I don't think it's that. I think if if Kale McCarr is flirting with a hundred points, which I think he's absolutely capable of over the course of an eighty-two game season, then you you have no real excuse to exclude him from the MVP vote. Uh, that being said, it, it's whether or not he's able to stay healthy. And, and he was relatively healthy this season, which is why I think that he got so much attention and, and certainly why he won the Norris. But you need a healthy, productive Kale McCarr through 82 games, getting a, a little bit better, a year better. I think that it's incredibly incredibly possible for him to be right there in the Hart Trophy voting. If he's not there next year, he's going to be there at some point. That's really kind of where I stand on Kale McCarr. It doesn't have to be immediate, but I do think it's going to happen. I do think he will win a Hart Trophy in his career. How about, how about this? We're going to take a break. Only, mm-hmm. only one defenseman since Bobby Orr in 1971-72 has won the Hart Trophy. Do you know who it is? Hmm. Chris? Um... Oh. I don't. Who was it? It was Chris Pronger in 1999-2000. He's the last defenseman. Yeah, so we sense. have not had a defenseman win the Hart Trophy in over 20 years. Yeah, that's wild. Well, Kale McCarr will be the guy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we got Jesse Granger from The Athletic joining the show, as well as one-timers and catching up with Chapman right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. 